the Medical School Headquarters podcast, session number 156. Hello and welcome to the Medical School Headquarters podcast, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. If you haven't yet checked out Pre-Med Life magazine over at premedlife.com, go check them out. Again, premedlife.com. They have issues and articles all about the pre-med journey. Again, premedlife.com. Today's interview is a great one with a fellow former Florida Gator. I guess once you're a Gator, you're always a Gator. So a fellow Gator who is now taking his skills as a, a financial planner and helping medical students, helping residents, helping physicians uh, tackle their debt and make sure that they are set financially as they enter this rewarding career uh, both mentally but also financially. It is a career that that does pay well, um, but there are some hurdles, some challenges for us on this journey because we have so much student loan debt. But Daniel Wren helps that, and so we're going to talk all about that with him on even for you as the pre-med, how you can set yourself up for success on this journey. Daniel, welcome to the Medical School Headquarters podcast. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, you're a certified financial planner, and you work kind of specifically with people in the medical field. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. Now, I want to start with maybe before they get into medical school or residency, I want to start with the undergrad, because that's the majority of people listening right now, are undergrad students and those non-traditional students that kind of are done with undergrad, but maybe have these lingering uh, uh, student loans. Can we talk about uh, preparation for student loans, maybe as an undergrad, and then we'll dig into medical student loans next? Yeah, that sounds great. What should an undergrad be thinking about when they're looking at student loan options? I think the biggest thing is understanding the various different types of loans that are out there. I think the the if you were to simplify it into a couple different categories, I would say there's the federal loans that are subsidized, and then there's the federal loans that are unsubsidized and then you got the private world so i think just a a high level understanding of the differences of those three areas is a a foundational part of knowing what what to do as far as where to to get get your loans the just a quick little summary of that is the federal loans are typically better terms at that stage in your life and particularly the subsidized loans. Basically what subsidized means is the government picks up the tab on the interest. So that's a good thing. And and a lot of times they are a lower interest rate, but they're typically need-based scholarships. So you have to you have to qualify for them, but I think just having an understanding of of what you're looking at. I remember when I got 
I got my undergrad loans. I didn't really actually know what I was taking out. I knew they were federal. So <laughs> just signing on the paper for thousands of dollars worth of loans. I'm like, I'm like, whatever. It'll be okay. Well, I'll be making a hundred thousand dollars right out of college. No problem. <laughs> Pay that off in no time. <laughs> exactly. All right. So subsidized, you'd mentioned the government's picking up your interest. Is, is that forever that they pick up interest or is it only for a certain period of time? No, it's not. It's not forever. It's just during certain periods of time, um, you know, like while you're in school or during deferment. Um, once you're in repayment, they typically switch it to where you're picking up the tab. But um, it really ultimately depends on the specifics. Okay, very cool. And I've heard a lot of things about private loans, and students should stay away from private loans, uh, specifically for medical school, but does that really count for undergrad too? It's probably more true for undergrad uh, because the way the different, the biggest difference between private lenders and federal lenders is the private lenders are seeking a profit. So they don't really, they're going to lend based on what the economics of the deal would say that the rate should be and the term should be. So, whereas the federal government just sets these flat standards for everybody. So a private lender when they look at a 18-year-old that doesn't have any credit and has no history of doing anything uh, financially, they're going to say, we're going to, they're going to loan you at the highest rate because that's a high risk. Whereas the federal is, is just going to have a set predefined rate. Okay. And I, I would assume as a medical student, you have lower risk because you're entering a career where there's big income. Yeah, and you start to have some, at least some history, and and then even when you get out of a meta, medical school into residency, it gets even better. And then when you're in practice, you're considered like a very good risk, unless you've made some poor decisions. Okay, all right. Well, let's let's start talking about preparing for medical school loans, since this is kind of your wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. As 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 a student is making that transition from. It may be an undergrad or, or a non-traditional student who's kind of out in the workforce now and going back to medical school, what should their decision process look like as far as looking for loans? I think I think that group wants to always start the federal route first, if possible, similarly to the undergrad. Uh, that's a that's pretty much a, a a sure thing to consider is go the federal route first. They're going to have better terms. Um, and then you just got to, I mean, really it depend. a lot of it depends on your situation. And so I see kind of like I did in undergrad. I mean, I think, I think people really need to take a minute and think about what they're doing, wanting to do in their life and why. So like, why, where are you going and why? So where are you trying to end up? What medical school are you looking at? What's the typical cost of living in that area? And so it's a lot of the loan stuff I think should start around your situation and, and what you have going on in your life, because ultimately 
what you don't want to do is you don't want to just kind of go in there off the cuff and <clears throat> just kind of take out loans as life goes by. And that tends to gravitate you towards taking out more loans. I think the ideal is that you line out all your, uh, your life circumstances and your goals for where you want to go school-wise and what the likely cost of living is in the area. And then you start to back into the loans. That way you have like targets. Uh, I think a lot of people take out too much more loans than they need to during that period. So I, I'm an advocate of taking out the right amount of loan. Okay. Because it, it, just to kind of give a, a back kind of story with the loan process, uh, I, I remember going through the process myself the medical school sets a annual budget for each student, and that's based on the mm-hmm. tuition, um, expected fees for books and, and other uh, expenses for the school itself, and then living expenses. So what are, what are normal housing, what's normal transportation, all of that stuff. And that is the maximum, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe, uh, that's the maximum that you're allowed to borrow federally, correct? Yeah, I mean, the that's my understanding of it as well. Okay, but but I but I but I get I get a different fee I, I get a different feel from my clients that are actually in it that there's a little. I mean, I guess that's the feel that I get when I talk to my my connections at the financial aid office. Mm-hmm. Whereas students, um, I mean, I hear different things sometimes from the students where they they can kind of work around the system, I guess. Not yeah, that I would advocate that, but but I, I think what I was what I was going towards is because those living expenses, the average living expenses, are worked in there. You have some leeway as the student to live a little bit more frugally or more frugal than than your fellow students and so maybe won't take out as as many loans correct okay yep and that's a good and and that's a good move and one of the things i think i see people um have trouble with in that regard is is they don't have much wiggle room built in there um or they don't live by what they actually set out you know it's hard when uh, yeah. when Apple releases a brand new iPhone every year, and yeah. there's this new shiny object syndrome every every time you turn around. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I would say n- very, very few of the medical students actually live to a T by the budget that they set out when they get their loans. Uh, I mean, it's really hard to live by a budget for anybody. Yeah, but I mean that it's it's not impossible and i think that's a good thing to try to work towards is i'm not i don't think it's possible to be perfect (laughs) i i think it's something to shoot for is being actually doing what you say you're going to do so student loans good example you're going to line out a budget and the closer you can get to actually doing it that's going to make life much better. It's going to make everything flow better. You're going to be developing the habits you need to be developing. And that's a skill that you shouldn't wait to build and work on while you're in medical school. You should be working on that right now. Start making a budget and living by it so that when you start medical school, you you kind of understand the basics. 
Yeah, I think that's a misconception. Everybody lives on a budget. If you spend any money, you have a budget. <laughs> um, the sooner the better. Undergrad is a perfect time to start working on the discipline of keeping track of your or keeping score right, of your finances. It's so simple. That's partly why it's a perfect time is because you don't have a lot of stuff going on. I mean, you don't, you don't have as many expenses to keep up with. And it may only be five minutes a month, but developing that habit when it's not quite as complicated and just paying attention to generally where your money's going, it's a, it's a fantastic time to do it in undergrad. That's probably the best. I mean, the best time would be when you're five years old, but... <laughs> If if only all parents and all education systems taught uh, financial <laughs> advice. Yeah, that's true. It, it's so rare. It's crazy. So there's a book that I recommend to a lot of people. I don't know if you know the book, but it's uh, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. Yes, I'm familiar with it. I haven't read it, but I'm familiar with it. Great book. I, I suggest you read it, even though you're a financial planner, because the the advice that he gives to students or to anybody really is, is just phenomenal, simple stuff. Um, so it's a great book. If you, if you haven't read that one, you listening, then then go out and get it. I'm going to read it too. It's on my list. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's start talking, uh, about maybe, uh, I, I, I put out this on Facebook. I, I put out that you were going to come on, a financial mm-hmm. planner coming on, and a lot of questions came up around kind of while you're in medical school, handling your expenses, but also handling the loans from undergrad. So students that have private loans from undergrad, and now they're in medical school, the 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 loan uh, companies want their money back. They don't care that you're in school. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, well, here's what I describe. The way I describe the private loan world is like the wild, wild west. Like, there's a million different options. There's not any rule of thumb. It's very dependent upon your lender and the terms you signed off on. So generally, I mean, a lot of, yes, they're going to want their payments. But but there's others that allow for uh, in-school deferral. So similarly to the federal loans. So there's plenty of private loans that will allow for even forbearance. Some of them have forbearance options. You just have to call them and talk to their service people and request in the right right fashion what you need to to happen. Define forbearance? Forbearance would be when you are able to display uh, financial hardship and either have your payment drastically reduced or zero for a period of time, usually a year. I'm certain that private lenders, some private lenders have forbearance options in their contracts. I just don't think they're going to volunteer. I don't think they're great about volunteering that to people. They're not going to like contact you and say, Hey, I see you're in medical school. Why don't you forbear? (laughs) Yeah, they don't, they don't want to do that. they They want their money. Uh, but if it's if it's in that contract, yeah. then then you need to advocate for yourself. But what if what if somebody's in a a loan agreement that doesn't allow forbearance, that doesn't allow deferment? What's their best option? Can they can they refinance with another company that does allow that? 
they could uh, refinance will be very challenging in medical school unless they have a good cosigner. If they have a good cosigner, it would be totally reasonable to refinance it with a great alternative, probably even at a better rate. Uh, but without a cosigner, I don't know that any private lender would refinance. Um, it would be, it, I'm sure there would be some, but it would, it would be difficult to find one. Okay. So, you know, yeah, I, I would, with any private loans, I, I encourage people to drill into the contract more so than with federal loans, I mean, you still want to understand the terms and conditions, but private loans, I mean, even if you already have one, even if you've already signed on the dotted line, I think it's a good idea to skim through your contract uh, or have your uncle or dad that's an attorney read it and bullet point it for you. <laughs> I, have an, I have an uncle who's an attorney. Because they're so different. It sounds like private loans kind of can can ruin a lot of people. Why do students opt for private loans over federal loans? Where Where is that decision coming from? I'm really not sure because I'm curious about that too. I think <laughs> it's, it's just that, that either they're not aware that the federal loans are available at that time because, I mean, it's for most pe- people, it's – it's federal loans are not i mean they're they're meant to be given out and they're not very restrictive in general so i don't i don't i don't really know the answer i i'd like to know the answer okay well we'll we'll have to do some more digging then all yeah. right <laughs> let's let's start talking about kind of at the end of medical school students have now racked up 250, 300,000 sometimes worth of debt. What should medical students be thinking about um, in this situation where they're kind of on the brink of starting residency, starting to make some money, but they also have these, these loans kind of hovering over them? Yeah, I think, I think this is a very... It's an interesting transition in my mind that I've noticed a couple tendencies that are kind of concerning. So, number one, I think what I've observed is the majority of them are going into what I just described earlier is forbearance. Um, So, for starters, like, I encourage people, you want to avoid forbearance, if at all possible. That's probably the worst thing you could do going into residency is to go into forbearance on your federal student loans. And and uh, just to just to confirm, forbearance, you're you're kind of telling the and and I went into forbearance. So where were you when I when I was doing this? But I don't you, know, man. <laughs> I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about student loans then. <laughs> you you are basically telling the government or whatever lender you're using that may allow forbearance, you're basically telling them, I'm not making enough money to pay you back, so let's just sit on the loans for a while and I'll get back to you next year. Yep. All right. And, and interest is racking exactly up that whole time. Well, there's like there's like seven negatives. I mean, there's a lot of other negatives that people, I think, don't realize with forbearance. Let's and that's talk about those. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, the biggest thing cuz they're going to get interest on those loans in in residency no matter what. They're not a resident with a $300,000 loan 
is not going to be able to make payments to keep up even with the interest typically. So it's going to generate interest no matter what. The big thing with forbearance, number one biggest issue is a negative is that interest capitalizes. So with a alternative repayment strategy, which they call income driven repayment, that means you, instead of saying I forbear, like I throw up my hands, I'm not, I can't pay anything. You say, I'll pay a reduced amount based on my income and your calculation gives you a, say, $50 a month payment, even though you have a $300,000 loan. You're paying something, but it's very reduced. So with income-based repayment, which is the most common alternative to forbearance and residency, interest does not capitalize. That means basically if you have a $100,000 loan, at the end of one year, say the interest is 10%, that's 10,000 of interest. That 10,000 of interest still hangs out over in the interest category. So then at, in the second year, you get 10% again on $100,000 still because the interest is still over there. So that's it's 10% on $100,000 for all, say, three years of your residency. With forbearance, capitalization is where that $10,000, instead of just hanging out over there in the interest category, it gets it gets capitalized. They call it capitalized. It gets added back to that principal balance. So then at the end of year one, instead of being charged uh, 10% on $100,000 like you would have been otherwise, you get charged 10% on $110,000. Uh-huh. Tricky. And so, and so tricky, tricky math. <laughs> and I mean, it's and it, and it balloons. So it's like then you get, um, I don't know, ele- I guess then the second year your interest is 11000 instead of ten. So then that capitalizes at the end of the second year. So then you have uh, 11, uh, 121. One, yeah. So 121, what's, you know, 10% of that, that's 12,000. Yeah. So, I, so it, it, and think about a seven year residency and a $300,000 loan. It, it just exponentially grows. So capitalization, if you remember anything, uh, capitalization in residency of interest is not a good thing. Okay. You want to avoid interest capitalizations. So that's that's one of the negatives of forbearance. The other big thing we talked about a little bit about subsidized loans. So with subsidized loans, you may have a subsidized loan from undergrad or you know, like a portion of your debt is subsidized. So the government will pick up the tab for the first 3 years of residency. If you opt for the income-based repayment, if you forbear, they're you're, they're not picking up the tab. Okay. So a lot of people go into forbearance with subsidized loans, uh, not realizing that. And then another thing is the interest. If you do make a small meager payment, you get to deduct it on your taxes. I mean, that's one of the that's going to be one of the only periods of time for a medical professional that they'll be able to deduct the interest on the loans. So that further accelerates the benefit. Uh, And then they lose eligibility for those years for the forgiveness program. That's really common. You don't get any credit for that when you're forbearing. Forgiveness program. Are you talking about the, the 10 year kind of forgiveness yeah, so you got to get 10 years in to get that. So if you forbear, it's like 
zero credit for that. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So I think I think a lot of people um, still forbear. If I would explain it like that, they would still choose to forbear because they're just facing that low income and compared to the debt load. And they're just like, what? It's not going to make an impact or whatever. But what I think <laughs> I, I did this after seeing that happen a few times. And if I were to equate it to like a rate of return com- comparative, basically it's equivalent to like a, a, at least a 21% rate of return. So that basically it's like that small payment that you would have to make alternatively to the forbearance it's like a killer rate of return. It's basically a one of the best financial decisions you can make in your entire life is not forbearing. <laughs> mm. I mean, it's a big deal. And and like a, my rough estimate is like 75% of residents are forbearing. So yeah. It's kind of like a chronic. I, I, I don't get it, really. I mean, it's just <laughs> I guess it's gotten so complicated. So we, we need to start a, a national campaign to to stop forbearance. Stop forbearance. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. It's like stealing money. It's like free money, too. It's not like I mean. Yeah. So big thing, avoid forbearance. And you want to I think the earlier you can have that in your mind is forbearance is not that cool. <laughs> Because you're hanging out with a bunch of people, you're going to start hanging out with a bunch of people that are going to be like forbearance is cool, or like the the chief resident says forbearance is the way to go. Yeah, it's not. It's not. <laughs> I I think it's it's a it's a delayed gratification thing, right? Do you you at the immediate kind of transition from medical student to resident, you you are now making money, not a ton of money, forty five thousand, fifty thousand, depending on where you are, but you, I think, I think as a medical student transitioning, you're like, this is my money. I, I need to, to go buy a nice car. I need to live in a nice apartment. I need to have nice clothes. And so every penny is being spent on, on lifestyle and living. And so they don't want to think about paying back loans until they are going to make 150000 They're like, oh, they're... There will be plenty of, of room to pay back my loans as fast as possible then. So I'm I don't care if it'll be an extra ten or fifteen or twenty thousand dollars if I forbear. Uh but then typically the trap is that their lifestyle expands when their income expands, and then they're in the kind of in the same boat of of not really mm-hmm. having that much to pay down their loans. Yeah, I mean it goes back to the habits, like good financial habits, probably or a lot of them are in that book we were talking about. Um, is that's just a classic, I think a classic example of like a very, um, basic, solid, like extremely valuable decision you can make to your advantage that a lot of people are missing the boat on. And a lot of people aren't talking about, but it's, that's how you get wealthy. In my opinion, is you make smart decisions about stuff like that, that nobody talks about. That's not that sexy. And you just do them over and over again. Let's kind of transition from from the loan side of things and and uh, all of that to to more of the maybe the planning to pay back the loans and how you create a spending plan or how you create a loan payback plan. Or can you kind of teach us that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately it ends. It depends on uh, what 
kind of loan situation you're in, I, that's how big of a deal loans have gotten is my clients that are like in practice, we're basically shaping their planning around their loans. So if you're, for instance, uh, going for public service loan forgiveness, we want to pay the least amount of payment possible for the time, the 10 year time period which is counterintuitive, but there's different tricks to max out a 401k that lowers your adjusted gross income, which lowers your repayment. So there's different strategies you can use that actually reduce the amount you pay back towards your loan. And that's a good thing when you're going for forgiveness versus people that refinance. For them, they've had a high interest rate, big, huge loan that they've refinanced now to a reasonable interest rate loan. And then it's just about setting a time period and making the normal payments. And it's not, it's not like as high of a priority because the interest rate has become more reasonable. And then the last category of people I kind of work in and is the, is the people that just have the high interest rate and they just have to deal with it. And and for those people, it's like we make it like number one priority. It's like let's get rid of this sucker like as quickly as possible because it's like a 6 7% interest rate, $200,000. It's going to eat away. It's going to make it hard to do everything else as far as wealth building. So it needs to be the full focus, pay it off as quickly as possible. Yeah. And, and are there – is there a – a number one trap that that physicians or or residents get stuck in that that hinders them from doing that. Yeah, I mean it's all about it's all about budgeting and and having control over your money. I guess is what I would sum it up as. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, that's the number one thing I uh, I see people struggling with is having control over their money. And ultimately, it's a big loan. It's going to take pretty serious discipline. The more disciplined you are, the better it looks for you. So, I mean, that goes back to undergrad. I think you can work on those habits early. Having control of your money is 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 something you can work on when you're at at, at any age. It's a it's a habit, I think. Well, Daniel, thank you for all that great information to help the the pre med and the medical student hopefully get control of of their spending and and kind of understand the student loans a little bit better. Where can people find you and and what you're you're all about? The best place would be my website, which is www.ren, which is w r e n n e financial dot com, and I have I have a blog on that website which our number one topic we write about is student loans all right it's renfinancial.com i'll have a link to that in the show notes so if you're driving don't start writing down things (laughs) concentrate on driving please uh all (laughs) right Uh, daniel thanks again for coming on yeah it was great to great to be here with you all right again that was daniel wren you can find him at renfinancial which is W-R-E-N-N-E, financial.com, one word. I'll have links to that in the show notes, as always. Well, I hope you got a ton of great information out of the podcast today. If you did, the best thing that you can do for us is to go tell somebody else about it. Go, Go tell somebody about this podcast. Let them know that they should be listening to this podcast. And uh, that that's the best thing that you can do for us. I hope you got a ton, 
as I just said. A ton of great information out of the podcast today, and I hope you join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters. You still listening? Hey there, it's Ryan. I have a question for you. I have a lot of people asking me to add more content for medical students. Uh, A lot of students that have listened to this podcast now over the last three years are now entering medical school or, or are in medical school, which is amazing and that's awesome. But now they want to continue listening to the podcast or a podcast about more medical school, medical student topics, uh, getting into residency, taking the board exams, all of that fun stuff. Now, a lot of people say just add it to the current podcast, but I don't want to do that because uh, you as a pre-med should be focusing on the MCAT, should be focusing on medical school applications. You don't need to hear all about uh, the boards and uh, residency applications, although I have covered some of that stuff in the past. Um, But also on the flip side, a medical student isn't going to want to listen to MCAT stuff, isn't going to want to listen to um, uh, medical school applications. So I'm going to separate. I think uh, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to go ahead and start a whole new podcast for medical schools. Uh, medical students. But now I have a a dilemma. I have this podcast that I've been running now for three years called the Medical School Headquarters. Uh, I used to call it the Medical School Headquarters podcast. I typically just now call it the Medical School Headquarters. Um, But but now I need to be able to differentiate between pre-med and medical school, medical student. And I, I need your help for that. What would you recommend? Here's, here was my thought. I was thinking about just rebranding this current podcast, the Medical School Headquarters podcast, pre-med years. And it, it almost like, you remember Saved by the Bell? They had Saved by the Bell, the college years. That's, that's kind of what I was thinking with that, I think. Uh, so you have the Medical School Headquarters, pre-med years. And then you have the Medical School Headquarters, medical school years or medical student years or something along those lines. Tell me what you think. Shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net, and let me know. If you're in medical school now uh, or you're on your way, what type of uh, content would you want to listen to? Uh, Who would you want to hear from? What would you want me to talk about? Let me know. Again, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net.